And I thought, my golly, how could he stand the a blow of that 180 grain bullet from a 300 Winchester mag at that close. I'm here with Flip Freeman and Ryan Johnson. Now, Philip Freeman has been a friend of mine for a long time. Uh, he's a dentist in Central Oregon. We live in Bend, Oregon. And so he's got a dental practice here. He's an elk and mule deer hunter, shooting enthusiast. And so a lot of times I see you out at the range, out of Central Oregon Shooting Sports Association. We call it COSA. And you will invariably be on the long range there, laying down prone, shooting 500, 600, 700, out to 1,000 yards. 1,200. You know, interestingly enough, probably a lot like the topic today, uh, just interested in getting better. You know, it sometimes you're chasing your tail. You know, do you have a half inch group at 100 yards or can you make it 0.4 inches? Can I get it 0.3? And at 1,000 yards, that becomes three inches. Yeah. Really, I do that for the, you know, there's a lot of human element that happens in hunting. So at a 500 yard shot, which normally might be an inch and a half group on the range, prone, relaxed, is now under duress, yeah. under a little bit of wind. That's why we do this. And that's yeah. why we do it. So for me to say I can hit a cantaloupe at 1,200 yards, that's not for hunting. That's for everything within that range at 500 yards when I'm huffing and puffing from running up a hill. When you hit you hit a cantaloupe at 1,000 yards, are you a vegan? Uh, hardly hardly i like meat on my meat sandwich smothered in meat my daughter gave me a great uh, bumper sticker it said if the lord didn't intend us to eat animals why did he make them out of meat that's right that's right okay so you were in the army in the late 80s and um and then ryan ryan johnson's here with us yes sir ryan i've known you since we were on a varmint shoot together and i think you had a 22 nozzler along that day that is correct yeah we were did. shooting sage rats that's yeah. what we call them in central oregon um in other places they might call them buildings ground squirrels that's correct they do that in uh, universities <laughs> <That's> <laughs> uh, right. down in southern oregon they yeah. call them squeaks yeah squeaks squeaks yeah 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 there's lots of other little names for them out out in northeast Oregon. They call them something else. I can't remember, but they're all the same animal. Yeah, and they all do the same thing when you hit them with a ballistic tip. <laughs> they certainly do. So uh, you're on Instagram, yes, sir. Uh, my personal is Action Johnson, and my business account is Oregon Outfitters. Okay, so you have a FFL license, and then tell us what SOT means. I'm a Class 3 SOT, uh, which means I am holder of a special occupations tax, which basically means that I can sell you all the fun stuff like short barrel rifles, short barrel shotguns, and um, most recently uh, have become very popular suppressors, silencers. The short barrel shotguns, that sounds interesting. Oh, it's a lot of fun. There's yeah. a lot of fun stuff out there. <laughs> and you also... Do some fly fishing guiding yeah, I for do. Finn and Fire? I have a real job um, during the week, but then during the weekends I do guide for uh, Finn and Fire here in Redmond. And then I do some sage rat and other varmint hunts out uh, eastern Oregon. It doesn't sound like you get bored. No, I stay pretty busy. <laughs> You're, I, stay, uh, I, I usually work 7 to 5 at my real job. Which and is then, power line excavation, yep, yep, project I'm manager. A project manager during the day and then uh, selling guns in the evening and hunting and fishing on the weekend. 
Well, God bless you. <laughs> Can we ask him what rivers? What rivers are you guiding on? I guide uh, the Lower Deschutes down near Madras, uh, oh. Warm Springs area, and then I guide the Crooked River over in Prineville. Nice. That'll work, guys. Um, I know Philip. You are always looking ahead and uh, trying to manage your time and manage your preference points in what half a dozen states that you apply. Probably at least ten states. I've got about twelve points in most states for most species. So I'm 55 this year. So I got to start looking at how to uh, best utilize those and which ones to save. You know, I have this good luck bad luck thing. If I try to put in for all of them right now, I'll get all of them. Yeah, and won't have the time. So yeah, it's a, it's a management game. Have you ever hunted moose? I have not, but that is definitely one of my one of my uh, bucket list uh, species that I want to chase. I've hunted moose twice, and um, that's kind of a good luck bad luck thing for me too. I almost died on one of the hunts. Oh. Now we're talking about John Nosler today. We're going to hear about his legendary moose hunt. But what's interesting, kind of the backstory, is all through World War II, he was very patriotic. He was he was older in uh, in World War II than he, you know, he had a family and he saved up his gas coupons so that he could go hunting and and um, also to just to further the war effort. And, it, and during that time, he had a trucking company. And as things happened, you know, he, he ended up being able to go to Canada and going up the um, Alaska-Canada highway. In those days, that was a rough, rough road and potholes and gravel and just this long straight line headed north. So they took an old truck and they drove from Ashland, Oregon up to the border and over the border on a moose hunt. And so they took a month. Once they get there, they've got to find a guide and find somebody who will take them to where the moose are. Because to somebody just crossing the border, it's just trees and, you know, a few little towns and um, a lot of people just living in the back country, just hard scrabble existence and he talked to a royal canadian mounted policeman who said that he had heard of a guide named john henderson and he didn't know him he just heard about him and that he lived somewhere near this one particular town <laughs> and so you drive north you know a hundred miles or more and then you go you turn left and you go for like 30 miles west and so they are sleeping on the road because they don't want somebody to go by them that might have information as where this Henderson lives, and they'll travel for hours without seeing another vehicle. Well, so that was their equivalent of Google back then, was to get information <laughs> by sleeping on the road so yes. you could stop people and talk to them. Uh-huh. And nice. so they're sleeping on a muddy road. This is probably, you know, um, late September. And they finally located this John Henderson who was living in the backcountry. He was afraid, actually, of being found by the authorities because when he came home from World War II... He didn't wait to get discharged. He jumped off the ship and swam the shore <laughs> and, and went off into the woods. And so that's who this guy was. And he became a, they, that family became dear friends with, with John Nosler in those days. And, and so we're going to listen now to the story of John's moose hunt. Well, I was in British Columbia hunting with the Indian guide that I had, uh, John Henderson. And I was probably a few miles from his residence walking. Marion Mann, uh, who worked for me, was also hunting with me, but he was probably uh, half a mile or so away from me. And Walt Remy was in the same general area. We were all hunting moose. I came up on the, a, a real nice 
bull moose about uh, 70 yards away. He was standing there munching on willows, which is their number one feed. So I took, had plenty of time, took a careful aim, and figured I'd shoot him right on the shoulder. And once you break that shoulder, they're coming down. I mean, uh, they can't do anything. So I fired, he reared up and had, actually looked around and started walking off. And I thought, my golly, how could he stand a, a blow of that 180 grain bullet from a 300 Winchester mag at that close? So when John says 300 Winchester mag, of course, what he's referring to is the 300 H&H. And he was hunting with a Model 70. And John um, was one of those people that was a real shooting enthusiast. And that's what they did um, on the weekends and on the evenings in Ashland, Oregon. They they would shoot these competitions. They'd shoot with centerfire rifles and they shoot a lot with rim fires. And so he showed me while we were working on this project together, he showed me some of the medals that he had won. And they have these postal matches that would be monitored and verified by a range master. And then they would send their targets into a, um, you know, this the headquarters and they would get winners. They, they would be competing by mail with people in other parts of the country. Well, he did anyway, so I popped him again. I, I shot three times at him and he still was on his feet. And I thought, well, the, the bullets had to be blowing up and not penetrating. So I thought, well, I'm gonna shoot him a little further back, shot him through the ribs into the stomach area and that uh, downed him, he fell over. I went up to him and looked him over and with much amazement, I couldn't believe that the, that that darn moose was that tough. I skinned him out, skinned the shoulder out, prepared the, the moose, uh, cleaned him up good, and prepared to uh, take him home with me. Uh, after skinning him and cleaning him up, and with Johnny Henderson's help, we we did hang the rascal up for because we were going to hunt two or three more days. I got a good chance to look at the very bloodshot mess that those three bullets had made in his shoulder. They were all three or four inches apart. They clearly showed that the the bullets were just absolutely fragmenting and not staying together in enough mass to penetrate that heavy bone and muscle on the moose, which is quite a shoulder when you really look over a, a big bull moose. So I'd been working on this new book. Um, it's called Bob Nosler, Born Ballistics. It's the second in this series of um, that I, we started with John Nosler going ballistic. And what I've really been impressed by is how the Nosler partition, John Nosler's invention, and bringing this premium bullet to market really changed hunting for people around the world. And I am not overblowing this when I say it changed hunting forever. And the reason why is because as hunters, we're more humane now. When I was a kid and I just got my first hunting license, you know, at the age of 14, I'm going hunting for deer that year. I have a 30-30. And what the old guys told me is that if I could hit that paper plate at whatever distance, then that I could go hunting. And if I could hold, you know, five rounds on the paper plate, then that that's my effective range. In the 1970s, I remember going hunting with some guys. I'm not carrying a gun, but the way it worked was if you saw a deer or an elk across that canyon, you shot at it. And if it didn't fall down, everybody was 
shooting at it. And eventually somebody was going to hit it and maybe it needed to be hit again. They they relied on multiple hits on a deer or an elk to put that animal down. Today we have this, we've, we've almost gone too far the other way, this one shot, one kill ethic. Mm-hmm. And what's that what that's done is it's made us really effective humane hunters but the only reason we can do that is because premium bullets exist <clears throat> and when john was hunting moose in the 1940s those bullets were not available and they they either over penetrated or in like in his case they pancake on the sides of these moose which are coated in you know dried mud Mm -hmm. they got thick hides anyway and so as we look around the world and see how um how people hunt today is all changed. It's all different because of this man's experience and and his um, his foresight and vision. But not only that, but you know the second generation Bob um, really turning this company around and and pointing it in the the direction that it's headed today. I more and more that I study this, the more I'm convinced that it was this this family that has really changed yeah. the face of hunting around the globe. Absolutely. This this story that we're listening to, uh, if you're involved in hunting at all, you know this story and and the impact, like you said, that it's had on an entire industry, both in production, a more humane way to practice our sport. Yeah, he did. John didn't want to develop this bullet. He didn't want to bring this bullet to market. It was a lot of work, a lot mm-hmm. of money, mm-hmm. and um, thankless hours mm-hmm. just spent trying to figure out how to overcome the production costs and all the major companies told him no they wouldn't do it winchester they said yeah we like this 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 will work no we're not going to do it (laughs) (laughs) what's amazing to think that he was able to do that looking at this book uh in gun digest that article you have here and seeing these photos what is this the 40s or 50s and all these complicated looking cast iron machines you know, he didn't have computers to figure this out. Right. I mean, it was very labor. This is labor intensive and, mm-hmm. and definitely took, you know, some intelligence. Plus, he knew how to find the right people, how to hire the right people. And mm-hmm. people show up at the office and he had no idea, you know, who they were, or what they were there, or what they were capable of. But they'd go to lunch and he would kind of sort it out and maybe he needed them. Maybe he didn't. But uh, there's a lot of stories like that, people that Worked for him for 25 years, 30 years, and retired working working for the same company. Yeah. What a great concept. People showing up who actually want to work. <laughs> wow. So I was quite disappointed. Uh, Mar- Marion Mann had uh, no luck getting a moose. So uh, the day before we were to leave, he said, John, if you get a chance to shoot my moose, go ahead, because I haven't run into any of them. And for some reason, I, I've just not run into any moose to shoot. So uh, sure enough, I walked right out the first first thing and, and stumbled right on to a nice bull. I did the same darn thing to him. I put two shots in the shoulder, and I see that it wasn't working. So I shot him in the belly, so to speak, and that bullet fragmented so bad in his internal organs that he just healed right over. So all the way home I was disappointed but so I I, the next time I was in San Francisco I went down to some of the big sporting goods stores and uh, uh, to see what they had in 300 mag uh, 
180 grain bullets. I found some 220 grain bullets uh, loaded up uh, corrosive primers that uh, Woodchester had claimed uh, was a good African bullet. So I, I took those to the next trip I went up, I took those along. They did a great deal better job because the velocity was way down on them. I don't think they was traveling over about 24 or 2,500 feet a second. And uh, uh, I, I did get one or two of them through the, the, the shoulder on a moose, but the, it still wasn't a, a good practical arrangement. Walt Remy took a 348 Winchester up with him the next this next trip and uh, he was using the 250 grain I believe it was and uh, uh, having great success he he bowl over a moose with that baby right now and uh, shoulder shots was the place to hit him with that thing and uh, I, I had a little experience with that same rifle myself because I I did own one, mm -hmm. and uh, I'd shot elk with it, and mm -hmm. had great success with it. But anyway, it wasn't the flat shooting, long-range rifle at the 300 Winchester Mag. That that combination was just absolutely beautiful to hunt with. We hunted goats with it later, and uh, and had no trouble at all with long-range three, three, four hundred yards shots you could uh, you could get right in there with them. Okay. Yeah. Now, you were using a Model 70. Was that a 300 H&H &H Magnum or was it? 300 H&H. &H. Okay. And did you have a scope on it? Oh yeah. What did you? What? I was using all kinds of scopes. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, it was one of the first uh, Model 70s that came out after the war. The 300 Winchester Mag was kind of a new cartridge after the war. It, I, it had been used in, in uh, April where not, but new to us. When you were, how close were you to the moose? First moose? Yeah, or, or the second one? Oh, uh, there was no big problem getting up on them. Uh, a, a moose is, a, is not a very wary animal. Once they start feeding on those willows, they rather intent on it and uh, uh, I was hunting with the, a friend of mine who was shooting at a 270 I think he got his ammunition mixed up and was using 130 grain bullets and I plainly saw him shoot this this moose and annoy hit it pretty good and I plainly saw that moose stand at attention and then all of a sudden go back to feeding <laughs> and <laughs> So a couple more shots put him down, but the, they're not a spooky animal. So you were able to get really close. To you them? could get quite close. My first partition bullet that I'd, I'd made and went up, I came across this a small bull uh, or a young bull, and they, a young bull is still plenty big animal. I purposely took him because he was in some very deep uh, jack pines. He probably wasn't over 15 yards from me. He, he just stood there and uh, I had plenty of time to shoot and 
I wanted to see if the what the bullet would do getting through there. It, it, it probably didn't hit very much brush going through there, but it knocked him down right in his tracks uh, with that uh, new roughly made partition bullet that I had. So it makes you wonder. You know, a lot of things could have gone different. He might have gone up there hunting with a 3040 Craig, which shot a bullet slower. The bullet would have maybe worked better. Yeah. But he was interested in these high velocity rifles but like you you mentioned ryan he had shot from further back that yeah. bullet might have actually performed the way it was intended to yeah it made me made me think of the entire nozzler story it's if, if that shot had been at 100 150 200 yards where that bullet had a little bit of time to slow down and and where the performance in those bullets was uh, or at the time period um maybe it would have had some decent more decent penetration at the distance that he made the shot on that first moose that bullet must have just been moving so fast hit that big strong shoulder bone pancake pancake Mm -hmm. nothing disintegrated nothing yeah makes you wonder if the if the scenario the the details the the situation was different where where we would be where nozzler would be where the hunting industry would be could have could have totally totally been different Oh, and some guys might have looked at that hunt as a success, and he looked mm-hmm. at what part of it failed. And it's interesting that the the older guys, and you know, we're in our fifties, so I'm, I'm generously saying older. <laughs> um, the older guys, you hear a lot about these high shoulder shots. You mm-hmm. know, and that's two shoulders to go through. Mm-hmm. And, and with today's bullets, you know, a lot of those bullets, that's not a not a problem. You know, you you spoke about these one shot one kill mentalities, and a lot of us, you know, just shoot right for the heart. Mm-hmm. You know, if he would have shot at the heart the first time as he mentioned that, that those bullets dropped him he may ne- never have gone on this escapade and we'd never partitions and mm-hmm. acubons and ballistic tips or nozzler himself it wouldn't wouldn't have been a problem to solve nope <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know it's, it's funny how this this world works isn't yeah. it sometimes just by chance uh, right right person right circumstance uh, i mean god bless him for doing that i, I mean he really thought about uh, the, the humane part of the, the sport mm-hmm. what if that animal would have ran away with two or three bullets in him how sick he would have been in his stomach as a sportsman thinking he did that to an animal that's right and we're all better sportsmen now hey guys i want to tell you about john nosler going ballistic the book it's the book about the story of the nosler partition and how one little company brought you the most accurate best hunting bullets in the business you know about the partition you probably use ballistic tips and you know acubond and acubond long range and e-tip Now read the story of John's triumphs and failures and how a little company based in Bend, Oregon, grew from a kitchen table to turn out the best bullets in hunting and shooting and learn how they really transformed hunting and shooting at Nosler Bullets, Nosler Incorporated. The book's called John Nosler Going Ballistic. Look for it at GaryLewisOutdoors.com and Amazon.com nozzler.com and in bookstores hey guys i want to tell you about frontier roast derived from 100 select grade colombian coffee it's made by my friends at expedition joe and they're based in georgia and the coffee is roasted in seattle it's the essential coffee for the backcountry When the alarm goes off and dawn is still an hour and a half away, it's the coffee for deer season and elk season. It's the coffee for prairie dog shooting. It's the coffee for fly fishing in Wyoming. 
Why not enjoy the finest coffee before you put your eye to the spotting scope, before you tie on a fly? Frontier Roast is the choice of great outdoor moments. Get yours today from Expedition Joe and GaryLewisOutdoors.com. Hey guys, if you like this episode, tell your friends. Hit like and subscribe and come back and download the next episode. Start at the first one or skip around or start at the last episode, work backwards. We dare you. We double dog dare you. <laughs>